A huge thanks to our guest for this special two. Parter. <laughs> it's the jet lag kicking in, isn't it? It's oh evil. We're sat so here under pressure. Losing it, like, losing it. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. And I'm Xiao Kizal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week again, we're going to be talking about Technovision 2023, a comprehensive report on the trends influencing business and tech decision-making this year. In the first episode, we talked about the overall philosophy of the work and the key five trends that were part of that work. In the second part, we're going to look at the mindset a little bit more. Like, if the trends are what, this is about how. Like, what do you actually do with them, and how do you implement them? And how do you get it right for your business? Joining us again to talk about this subject is Ron Toledo, Data and Insights CTO at Capgemini, and leader of overall Technovision 2023. Welcome, Ron. Great to see you again. Just want to say a little quick word about yourself and just introduce what it is that you do. I love being back over here because I love being in this specific reality, Dave. So it's a truly, to hear, mate. truly a joy to be back over here again, uh, talking to you today from uh, from the Netherlands. And really looking forward to dive a little bit deeper in the whole topic of technovision and particularly the, the most important success factor there, which is indeed about um, the how rather than the what. So let's start the second part of this conversation, making our way through Technovision 2023 by, uh, by looking at the mindset of the group, Ron. So what's the background thinking that you were applying to this? Because you, you can come at these things from a number of different directions, each of which could maybe inform the sort of conclusions you come to. So give us a bit of an insight into the background conversations you were having, what was going on in your heads at the time. Well, well first of all, in Technovision, um, what we've been doing in our previous podcast episode was discussing the, the what of the technology trends. So we actually have our six containers and each of them contains five trends. And it's really a repository, always changing and evolving of, of technology trends, right? Which is always interesting. And we make a plea to select the right ones. But there's also a balance act that needs to be made, uh, which is much more about the how. And here you're talking about the, the proper mindset that you need to develop uh, to, to actually make a transformation successful. Because it's one thing to be knowledgeable of technology trends, Nice. Then, then be able to select the right ones, even better. Uh, still, still nothing is necessarily going to happen as a success, right? So we realized at that time that we needed something additional to these trends. And, and that's what we call balance by design in Technovision. It's the seventh container. And itself, it contains of seven big design principles, which we iterate through every year again in terms of are these still the, 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 the big mindset questions we ask ourselves. So, so we, we tend to change it over the course of the years, but they tend to be a little bit more stable because technology changes all the time. And I think mindset and culture do as well and approaches to change, but still they're a bit more stable. They're the, and and, and it's, it also stipulates the, the need uh, to have them uh, because in practice, I, I find that it's often more important to uh, pay attention to the right mindset the right design mm. principles rather than, than choosing the right technology trends. So the trends are like the 
what and this is yes. like what you actually do with them like the how and which is also a little bit of a, a trends collection because it, it, these are trends in terms of what mindset you apply and they evolve we found out through the years as well but but maybe in a different pace um so so it's it's a bit more stable but on the other hand it really triggers the architects and the strategists among us to to do that balance act so 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 this these these seven key principles also contain, I would say, seven key questions to ask yourself in whatever endeavor you're involved in, right? It could be a portfolio, an architecture, a project, a program, an innovation initiative. Uh, maybe you're reviewing something that already has been done. And then, and then you apply these, these mindset principles much more rather than, hey, are, are all the right trends in there, you know, which, which at that point in time matters less. And what difference would you think it makes to the application of this stuff when you look at we'll come on to the mm-hmm. the seven principles in a second but if you apply them what difference does it make do you think versus you know just coming at them you know without using the design principles well if, if you don't apply that i i think um, just a bunch of, of technologies that have been chosen uh, without without a vision without a direction without an architectural foundation mm. i think are all pretty useless frankly um, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, what, what I found in practice is it, it's often much more the success or fail factor is the mindset area. So how you're doing things rather than the what, uh, which, which to me, maybe it's easy for me to say, but to me, that's just, you know, daily work. Let's, let's select the right technology trends and, and absorb them and, and stay, uh, you know, stay, stay up to speed with, with all the innovation going on. But, but then really changing the organization. You know, really, really transforming the organization and uh, applying some cultural shifts, finding some cultural shifts is uh, is often the real success factor. So so without it, it's just a bunch of trends, frankly. Well, and I agree. I think that I think that's important. And I think your first design principle talks directly to organization. I think it's every business is a technology business. Yes. I mean, that's certainly something that would resonate with us here on the show it's something that we we, we've talked about in the past just explode it for a little bit for us what are you referring to specifically with that principle well in 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 a way it's it's what you call could call a pleonasm right every business is now a technology business is it's one and the same thing right so so there's no need really sooner or later we don't need to say every business is a technology business because we know it's a fact just like transformation is always digital so why would you say it's digital transformation right it's no longer need to, to actually say that, uh, just just like we have a burning fire, well, we know because it's a fire, right? Um, so 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 it's there's, there's no need to to say it because otherwise there wouldn't be a fire. There wouldn't be transformation without it being digital. And nowadays, I would say that there, there wouldn't be a business without technology completely entwined into it. And 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 often that's that's not the case at all. So so frankly, we, we, among these seven design principles, this one to me is is my prime diagnosis. Uh, that that um, I've been applying to so many different organizations and situations in which you ask yourself, so how how is it between business and technology? Are they really acting as one? Are they one and the same thing? Or are they at best discussing alignment? You know, 20 years ago, maybe we, we would found it sufficient to say, well, there's splendid alignment, people, between business and technology. But alignment is just not enough over here. They need to be one and the same thing. Uh, but it can be much worse than over alliance. And, and it would be like, well, you know, central IT pretty much hated, pretty much is- isolated, pretty much left behind in their legacy systems. Business units are all doing their own thing, 
often the more innovative things they're picking it up themselves and there's there's not even alignment between the two they're just yeah. trying to um, um you know put up with each other so so nowadays uh, as we've become so reliant on technology for all of our uh, business scenarios i would say alignment is not enough need to be one and the same thing and and if that's not working uh you know all the other aspects of your transformation you probably can already forget and so that's for me it's a, it's a key diagnosis it seems to me as well that especially on the back of the pandemic when all of a sudden tech enablement if you like and mm-hmm. you know tech transformation was was central to every board in the world's conversation because it was dealing with such an existential crisis to mm-hmm. manage over that period of time and by pointing that out for 2023 do you get the sense that that baton has not been seized strongly enough by say the IT industry well it's 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 definitely has helped of course so, so never waste a good crisis right uh, i wouldn't say that of the pandemic but but it definitely helped of course to get that um, to get that insight at, at the executive uh, level i i would argue for sure that that the challenges we we face nowadays so so it's not only the pandemic and and it's afterburn but it's it's also for example scarcity you can, you cannot you cannot deal with with the scarcity of energy natural resources human resources without very much being enabled by technology not just a little bit but very much being able enabled by technology to do things truly different than, than what you've done in the past right so so again it's completely entwined in the equation the, the, whatever scenario you really see pan out there we we know that technology is completely embedded into it so so that means that that maybe business executives now have learned to appreciate technology and starting to embrace it more and even you know make it a discussion point in the executive meetings yeah uh, but yeah. it's also for for IT it's it's sort of like making that jump in terms of well we're no longer isolated or lovely on our own over here but but actually we, we need to realize that that you, you you need to really fuse with with that business side which might mean that your almighty central IT department and all your ways of doing things like like you used to do in the past might evaporate and and they need to because otherwise there there's alignment at best uh, right um, and and that is so that's equally different difficult or maybe even more difficult in some cases mm. for for our IT leaders and in your second design principle i think you turn to the theme of doing less and doing yes. less well yes. um, so is is this where the crux of that theme of less with less came Precisely. to fruition yeah. Do good, do less, do well, right? It's it's actually um, this this famous quote by um, uh, Franklin uh, that said, "Do well by doing good, right? If you if you do the right things, if if you are um, cognizant of of the environmental impact of what you're doing, if you're cognizant of the scarcity of resources, so you do the good things in your portfolio. Uh, that also means that you probably do things less, and less not only means you have a smarter portfolio with with maybe." better selected as a result fewer uh, different initiatives but also means um, using technology to that is lightweight that is that is uh, less in terms of its presence if you do all of these things right so so a combination of um, things that are beneficial to society and and the environment um, but are also let's say lightweight in terms of impact on your own central IT and resources as a result You'll be doing well, right? Uh, as as an enterprise, as an organization, mm. and and that so so that is that is our second design principle in terms of well, look at your existing portfolio of initiatives. Are you doing the right things here? 
uh, both in terms of the, the, the selections you made, but also in terms of the, the, the environmental impact. Are we top-heavy over here? Could we get rid of things? Could we do less, but also more lightweight in our approach, in our solutions? And, and uh, really as a checklist almost uh, to be applied on a program or on a portfolio, an ongoing project, or even a design or an architecture, right? So it's a very good one, and it, and it resonates, of course, the main theme of Technovision this year. It's really to be used as a mantra wherever we look at, at whatever's going on in, in terms of technology-enabled change. Perennial challenge, that, isn't it? One of yeah. prioritization, doing less to do better. And I'm interested in the third one. It's got one of the more intriguing titles, which is With Open Arms. Ah, Yes, well, we, we try to have intriguing titles anyway, Dave, because uh, Technovision, in case you didn't notice so far, yeah. is, uh, it's been decided a little bit as a playful Hey, tool. Ron, did you ever consider Less With Less as the overall title for this? <laughs> oh, yeah, let's let's bring back that uh, that very little thing that we discussed earlier. Yeah, Less With Less, that sounds good, right? Maybe we'll do it yeah, next year. Maybe we'll do it next year, and, and yeah, we're bold yeah. enough to do it, uh, Dave. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, rub it in, I would say. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> My pleasure, mate. Yeah, yeah, no, but with open arms is uh, is also a playful one in in terms of do I have the architecture, the solution, but also the mindset uh, within the solutioning teams uh, to to have to to have systems and applications that are by default open to the outside world, and as a result, by the way, are also open towards the inside world, because funnily enough, if if we have to develop uh, open systems, for example, through application services and APIs or data that is easy to exchange or a collaboration system that enables us to reach out to unexpected organizations we want to work together with. We, we find if that works with the outside world from, from an enterprise perspective, uh, then we're always like, hey, what do you know? You, you, you might be applying this internally as well. Because mm-hmm. often the division, the, the level of, of, of you know, being disconnected within an organization is, is often worse than, than if we're talking about being connected and open towards the outside world. Right. So, so again, I, I've been mentioning the thing before. Sometimes it's a journey with benefits, right? You need to um, design your systems as open by default. So it's not something uh, that you want to apply as an afterthought. So it's it's open by default, so that you know you 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 can achieve all of your objectives, which is often dependent on how you deal with your external ecosystem and your external players. And once you've done that successfully, you could say, "Hey, wait a minute! This could this could even work internally." between our own business units and and they might <laughs> be benefiting from it as well maybe it's not exactly the right sequence but often in uh, in practice we see it happen like that but organizations get themselves so locked into very specific ways of working and yes. you know em- embed those things in processes and mm. even worse within contractual SLAs that it can be deeply transformative and you know difficult for people to actually take a step back and go okay you know what if we just we just relaxed a little bit about this and uh, held it a bit more lightly and worked together in a more collaborative fashion. We might get somewhere faster. Yeah, precisely. And, and maybe we don't even know who we will be working together with a month from now, right? Because it's a very unpredictable world. And there might be a value ecosystems, uh, you know, around the corner there that, that we didn't even think of so far. So, so you, you have to build it in into your architectural approach and your strategy approach right from the start. And so, again, it's a very important checklist. You, you want to apply in terms of, okay, this is a very nice initiative. Here's a very nice pro- program going on. This looks mm. like a healthy portfolio. How open is it by design uh, is a very important ask, uh, question to ask. Indeed, and, and I think that le- leads us into 
I'm going to take the next two together, I think, because I think they're, in, in my mind at least, they're bedfellows, which is about adaption. So adapt first. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is about, you know, kind of IQ and EQ and CQ. And CQ. Being equally important. And, you know, in the business world, we're awfully good at getting ourselves wrapped up in IQ, aren't we? And, and not really considering the rest of them. So where are you going with this, which is about adaption and kind of emotional intelligence as well as intellectual? Well, well, well let, let's do them step by step. Uh, adapt first is, it has always been a key principle uh, in the past few years within Technovision. Because uh, in, in the past few years, we made a plea to use technology uh, to deal with uncertainty. So you want to be agile, adaptive, you want to be resilient, you, you want to be able to reconfigure yourself whenever it's needed. And, and again, if, if, you, if you're having an existing set of systems that, that have been, uh, you know, uh, firmly planted in the ground and, and, and they are as they are uh, because you think that's what the world looks like, then, then it becomes very uh, difficult to adapt it and to change it and to reconfigure it. So, so we've always said, uh, you know, it's, it's nice that that solution is working now, but, but what if we would assume things will break? What if we would assume things will completely change in yeah. the near future? Um, you know, is, is it actually by design that, that you can deal with that? Or, or is it an afterthought again? What this reminds me of in, in a technical realm of things like, you know, Chaos Monkey, where yeah, you know there was a precisely. something on yeah, AWS that. that ran around deliberately trying to be disruptive and deliberately take down live production systems, which was a huge jump away from you know the the sort of stasis management that IT could often get itself locked in before this latest generation of technology. So, are you thinking about this from a technology perspective, but also an organizational and sort of totally human much more, much more actually. Uh, I, I think it is, and of course, one one can strengthen the other, right? And sometimes I feel that if you look at systems, they're sort of a mirror of the organization itself, and vice versa. So I often said, for example, show me your applications portfolio, and I tell you about your organization simply. Because you can see, you, you, you can see uh, how, how centralized or decentralized or how aligned or unaligned, you know, the, the business is. And, and so, so, but that can work two ways, right? So you could say, well, in order to become a more agile organization, I need more agile technology and I need more lightweight, um, you know, adaptive uh, types uh, of technology. And then the business will change because we want to change. But also you could say, if I bring in more technology proactively, that is agile and enables me to reconfigure my business almost on the fly, mm. that might be a trigger to transform the business to becoming more adaptive as well. So, right. so we always like to think, uh, and sometimes it's a bit conservative to say, well, you know, business wants to change, so we'll have to accommodate that with technology. But, but I am a fan also of the other way around in terms of what if we could do things with technology that we deemed impossible in the past? How would that change our business practices? And, and are we actually open to, to considering that as well? Uh, yeah, because right. otherwise, it's just this old way of uh, business specifies requirements and needs. And then the technology people will say, yeah, yeah, we have something for it or we will build something for it so that you can change the way you want to change. But the other way around is nice as well. So why in your mind then, or in the mind of the team that you were working with, is EQ and CQ so important within these adaptive organizations? It, it, it actually builds on it because if adaptivity only would be about technology, uh, you know, you get a lifeless, soulless uh, organization. So, so just because you have an API library uh, doesn't mean you become a, a highly decentralized, agile organization, right? right. And, and it's the same with data. 
uh, we, we all realize that we want to be a data-powered organization, so, so that's fine. Uh, we want to be data-driven, so we, we come to rely more on data, which, which is uh, brilliant. So, so it raises, you could say, the corporate IQ of the organization as a whole. We become more intelligent, we can make better decisions, we have more to base our decisions on, so that's all good. But again, it, it, if that means we, we, we become completely clinical, metrics-driven, analytical type of people... That, that only look at their data in order to have a judgment about something or to make a decision, uh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't match what, what you want in terms of the emotional quotient of the, of the organization, right? We would literally be barely more than AI at that yeah. point, I would well, suggest. Well, fair, fair enough. It, it goes back to a previous episode we've done where we discussed a lot psychological safety in the workplace to create a high-performing, highly productive, mm-hmm. happy team. And this is all those themes, isn't it, about creating an environment where people can thrive and trust everyone and, and can get on with what they need to do with a clear purpose and understanding. So it's that combination to bring it all together to make a happy workforce, basically. And you want a happy workforce, uh, Rob, because uh, it's a scarce thing nowadays to, to have a workforce in the first place, let alone that they're happy. And it's important to keep the people happy because then they'll stay with the company and, and, and be happy in the company, you know, and, and, and add to the, the value as a, that you want to create as an enterprise. That's also the deferred uh, quotient, by the way. So we have IQ, need to be matched by, by the human center side, the EQ. And then there's something which we call the creative quotient, the CQ. And that is really about how can we unleash the potential of all these people in the organization, you know, expressing their, their creative um, thoughts and, and capabilities. And, and nowadays, of course, through AI, uh, come to think of it, that, that certainly enables us to uh, achieve this as well. A couple of minute job, just as long as it takes to type it into chat GPT and you get the output in it. Well, yeah, yeah. You want to be a human, but if you are a human that feels at your place, you know, and you're accomplished, then you want to unleash your creativity more and more. And, yeah. and, and with all the people in your organization, nowadays, we, we even have technology that helps us to do that. And, and so to find a proper balance between, on the one hand, these metrics, the intelligence, the data, the, the algorithms, which is fine, the human side that feels appreciated and, and you know, an emphatic organization, and, and then thirdly, unleash their creativity and, and, you know, in terms of value generation by everybody inside that organization, you, you get to a much higher level. It seems to me as well that when you look in, say, like a, in inverted commas, a digitally transformed organization where you are expecting certain paces of innovation, which require certain levels of creativity to be brought to bear on the situation, that if you don't have like a psychologically safe environment and you don't have a happiness level, you know, like a happiness quotient in the organization, you are absolutely going to perform less well as a company. And and that's not the type of less we're interested in, Dave. That's not the type of less. That's a a bad less. Yeah, Yeah, that's a bad less. Uh, Moving forward then, I think another connected theme perhaps, which is the trust thrust. Yes. This is a, I'm not sure where you're going with this one, Ron, so I'm going to, uh, it is a I'm going to leave play, this one entirely in your hands. Yeah. Uh, as, as we've noticed by far, when, when looking at Technovision, there's all sorts of uh, workplace in there. Um, we can't help ourselves to explore that every now and then. Here we have trust, thrust. And, and what we're saying is, of course, uh, nowadays we've come to rely so much on systems, on data, on processes, on AI. 
So, so we need to have a trustworthy foundation um, while doing so. So we all realize that. So it needs to be, um, you know, our privacy ne- needs to be guaranteed. We have all of the, the general notions, of course, of security throughout, which we don't see as a separate trend, by the way. People often ask us, where's your cybersecurity trend? And we always say, no, that's a mindset. It's a principle that goes through everything we do in applications, right. in infrastructure, in user experience, in data, in process automation. It's everywhere. So, so you can't say it's one separate thing. It's much more a, a mindset principle to apply trust, including cybersecurity, but also privacy and ethics uh, through everything you do. So it's, it's these three levels, right? That must be secure and robust. Then on top of it, you, you want to you know, guarantee the privacy if people are involved. And, and then at, at that third level, it, it even needs to be um, ethical in, in terms of Am I using my systems, including AI, in, in a way that complies with the ethical code of the organization and the society around us, right? Increasingly society. Yeah, yeah. society as a whole. So, so that trust equation is, is crucial. Now, now, I believe it, it shouldn't be taken from a risk perspective. So you would say, well, I have to do it because I'm mitigating risk here. So if I don't do it, my, my image is done, for example, or I get fined by the European Union or whatever. But, but instead, you want to say, if I do it properly, it's, it's a foundation uh, to grow as, as an organization. So then it becomes a thrust, right? It's pushing me upwards. Um, so, so if I do it in a positive way, and sometimes I have to tell security people, well, you know, uh, it's not your mission in life to prevent business or to be yeah. a passion killer of everything that we do, right? Uh, and sometimes you feel that that's the mindset that's being applied. Mm. I have to stop things because they're risky and uh, not on my watch, right? And if that means we can't do our business, we can't grow, uh, we, we can't innovate ourselves, well, that doesn't matter because risk is at the very foundation of, of everything that we do. It needs to be mitigated. But, but if you turn it around, I, I believe it works much better. Then it becomes like, imagine we have a trustworthy foundation and we could do anything on top of it. And by design, it would be trustworthy, ethical, and, and privacy would be guaranteed. And then it becomes a thrust, right? Then, then it's an upward power that you, that you unleash. So, so we like that attitude. So, so it's mm. more than a security mindset. It's a positive upward security mindset, a trust mindset. And that brings us on to our last design principle and yes. extremely interestingly <laughs> named one, which is no hands on deck. No hands on deck. And what can we do to do things entirely differently? Well, precisely. Uh, we, we had a, uh, a launch webcast not so long ago in, in which we said, well, we're going to launch Technovision 23. And we had a little online poll over there. So, so we provided the attendees, uh, there were quite a few, uh, with these seven design principles. And we said, which one's the most important to you? Hmm. And everybody started to vote. And I think every business is a technology business. It came out winning. Adapt First was also a crucial one. But the one that only got 2% of the votes was uh, no hands on deck. And then, right. and then our general command, also of the, the guest speakers that we had, uh, the, the, um, the command was, well, that's underestimated. It's a, bit, it's a little bit underestimated, which you can actually achieve with this. Because we need to ask ourselves always again, are, are we paving the cow path? Are we just walking the same route that we've always done? We're just trying to pave it, you know, we're putting some asphalt on it, and then we hope yep. that we'll drive faster or we'll move faster, but we don't, because it's that old winding road, right, that, that doesn't allow us to, to drive faster. And now, of course, with AI, intelligent process automation, new ways of collaboration, uh, there, there are so many different ways to fundamentally rethink your business rather than simply optimize what you already have. 
So, so we're saying over, it's a challenge, right? Is it like the distinction between digitization and digitalization? Digitalization, that's a word play as well, Dave. Yeah, yeah, where, yeah exactly. So where, where digitization is, hey, we're basically doing the same five steps, but we've, you know, we've digitalized a couple of them. So we're using exactly. you know, online documents or aligned pack codes now or a kind of an entrenched process now that just happens to be on a computer. Mm-hmm. versus truly changing the organization and changing into a digital organization that might be having completely different approaches to development, completely different approaches to innovation. Precisely. And where within that, you're not boxed into what the way you used to do something. And, and of course, that needs to be properly balanced, again, with that EQ and, and that CQ that, that we discussed earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is a people's business. Uh, but but think about it in a time of scarcity, and we'll see scarcity of natural resources um, for a long time to come. Why don't you challenge yourself in terms of if I had to do it all over again because I just don't have the resources? What yeah. would my organization and my processes and my services look like? And and imagine, uh, you know, I could be using AI, intelligent process automation, microservices. I could use it all to the full extent rather than simply optimizing what I'm already doing. And and, and this time it's not just because for, of, of the sake of it, but, but also because of the fact that it might be a reality. We have no hands on deck. There is nobody or at least much less people than we... Um, you know, used to have maybe in the past. So, so how are you going to do it? And, and that mm. requires a truly a different mindset. So it's, it's the most, uh, I would say, challenging one, this, this last and seventh one. Uh, mm. Still needs to be uh, explored a little bit by a lot of people, we feel. But, but if you've seen it all, I always say to our architects as well, if, you, if you've gone through all of these other design principles and you're sort of okay with it, now's the time to really challenge yourself. And the organization. I love the way that the seven things come together almost in support of that last one to me. So like a recognition of that every business is a technology business now, but needing to focus their innovation on the right things in a way that's kind of right in a wider societal way. But then recognizing the need to sort of consistently adapt. But the fact that that adaption is organizational and therefore very human in its nature. And if you're dealing with you know, human beings going through change, like almost nobody likes change forced upon them. So mm-hmm. you, you culturally have to get that right, right? And I think that requires a much deeper engagement with the human than the old people process technology element of client server yeah, change absolutely. that everyone used to talk about previously. I'm interested to hear like how they coalesce in your head, Ron. I do think this whole discussion makes clear that it's not just about the actual technologies, although they're fascinating and inspiring, but if it means we have to um, forget a few of the technology options and apply our design principles better, I I think we would be usually in better shape. Shalk, what have you been looking at this week? So each week I will do some research on what's trending in tech. And this week I want to focus on green or sustainable software engineering. So what is it actually? It is an approach to software design implementation and deployment that emphasizes energy efficiency and environmental sustainability. And the goal of it is to minimize the impact that application and the infrastructure that hosts them have on the planet. So basically, there's no one-size-fits-all formula for building sustainable software. For each and every application, you need to look at different aspects, 
like, for instance, the efficiency of your code, optimizing your functions, your methods, maybe remove unnecessary features. Also, the program language that you use has an impact on this. Optimizing your deployments. Some application deployment techniques are more energy efficient than others. Containers are more efficient than VMs, for instance. Look at your ap application architecture. Maybe use serverless components. Look at your infrastructure architecture. For instance, availability-related choices can also make a huge difference in energy consumption. Maybe you want to mirror your applications or data across multiple cloud regions instead of hosting them just in one location. It also increases the overall consumption of it. And the last one I want to focus on, data center choices. Also, your choice of a data center will influence your applications as well, how green they are. So different cloud and co-location providers have different levels of commitment to carbon neutrality and green energy sourcing. So my take on this, I do see more awareness on this topic the last year. But when I look at most customers and organizations, they are aware of the fact that the cloud can be very beneficially for their sustainability goals, for hosting workloads and applications there instead of in their own data centers. But from an application perspective, choices are mostly made from a cost reduction perspective, not so much from sustainability. So I do not see many organizations yet really investing in green software engineering. So I'm curious, Ron, Dave, Rob, what is your perspective on this? What do you see happening at customers? I think society is ahead of business in my view. So I'm just pulled up a stat here saying uh, the CO2 emissions from children's songs and Baby Shark, for those who have kids and have played that, has cost us 451 tonnes of CO2 or over 18,000 trees. So societal awareness has increased. Not to mention the uh, impact on everybody's sanity. Right? <laughs> there is that. <laughs> or indeed, last Christmas by Wham at 2,909 tonnes or uh, 121,000 trees. So the society's driving it and it's taking time to permeate through the business and it is catching on. But compute efficiency, compiled efficiency, all this thing, it, it, it will go as we continue to refine, refine, refine. But I think this is an example of where society's changing mindset will push businesses to have to do this to be able to report on it. It's at the top of every CXO agenda, isn't it? So I think it's coming, but the complexity with the changing the software engineering process to get greener, I think is a tougher challenge than going to cloud, changing your compute under pinning, you know, deleting data sets you don't need. There's still some big ticket items left that businesses can go at first before they have to get into the nuanced detail that uh, we discuss with this topic. I agree with that. A couple of thoughts from me. The first is, I mean, I I'm trying to remember whether it was last year or the year before that I first came across the topic of green code and the fact that you could write code in multiple different ways and you could write more sustainable code than just general code. And whenever that was, it's within the last few years, it literally had just never occurred to me. You know, it's like, it seems obvious now it's been pointed out, but it's like at the time I was like, oh, that was a proper light bulb moment. And I think the more airtime that gets, the better. I think that within certain communities now, that's increasingly well understood, but I'm not sure how widely understood that is. So I, I think that's important because that links to the second point I was going to make, which is like, as you go into legacy modernization, you know, that's the point that you can start looking at this stuff to, you know, not, not just, you know, reduce your power and kind of optimize 
the functional efficiency of your legacy, but actually, you know, the green footprint of your legacy, I think is it, legacy modernization gives you a huge opportunity in that, in that space to me. Uh, I'm not sure yet how far that is up the modernization agenda. I, I agree with you, Shark. I think increasingly now data center exit strategies have got sustainability in probably their top three business outcomes, but I'm not sure legacy modernization is in that place of maturity yet. But that is precisely the driver, right? That is precisely the driver. So so we, we've been discussing it before as a journey with benefits. I think sustainability itself as part of the company purpose is absolutely crucial. Can, can we solve all of sustainability issues by uh, green software engineering and green data engineering for that matter? Probably not. Uh, but while doing so, and, and we feel validated and enabled by doing so because it's an important part of where the company wants to go. So it's it's more justified than it used to be. And then you realize you're, you're really diving into that application landscape. You're, you're analyzing it. You're, you're um, charting it. You're, you're rationalizing it. You're re-engineering it, rewriting it. And then you realize it's a journey with benefits. So you, yes, you've achieved your sustainability objectives, which you want. But while doing so, you get a much better application landscape as well, which I think uh, brings so many additional advantages. I think the bit the bit I like about it, though, is the ever-increasing sophistication that's creeping into our thinking. And this is the next level of sophistication. So we've had all the stuff that we've discussed, and now we're thinking about recompiling code to improve CO2 impact. And I think, you know, what's next after this? But that that level shows that people are thinking more and more about it and hunting for the next area that they can go at. Yeah, we already mentioned a couple of times, every business is a technology business, right? So every company can benefit from this. It not only reduces the impact on the planet, but also the overall IT cost. So um, for me, a win-win situation, better for the environment, better for your business. Thank you, Schalk. Well said. And yeah, very, very pertinent topic. And I, I agree, the increase in sophistication that we're seeing in the thinking around this needs to be followed up a little bit more, perhaps with more execution. But I think that will naturally come with it because the benefits, I think, to your point, Schalk, are, are, are really increasingly obvious. But Ron, as you know from last week, we end every episode of the show by asking about what you're excited about doing next. You get to do two on the bounce. So, Ron, what are you excited about doing next? Yeah, Dave, so that brings me back to the, the things I was looking forward to uh, last podcast uh, episode. Uh, I'm, I'm still very much thrilled by what I can do with, with generative AI. And one of my latest hobbies is completely rewriting uh, memos and emails I've been sending, but then in the style of Ernest Hemingway, which is one of my favorite authors. And the results <laughs> it produces are simply... On one hand, hilarious, but but also teach me a lot about language. So that, that's definitely one of my hobbies these days. That's just, you know, another phenomenal upside to that whole thing, isn't it? Oh, my God. It is. Look, Ron, thanks so much for joining us over the course of these two episodes. We've covered a huge amount of ground, I think it is fair to say, uh, and it has been quite a journey. So thank you very much indeed for your insights over the last couple of hours. You're most welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So lovely. A huge thanks to our guests for this special two-parter. Ron, thank you so much for being on the show and bringing a huge amount of insight to our sound and editing wizard, Ben, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and Twitter, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan, and Xiao Kuzal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week.